teach us? Will you teach us to pray like you pray? And here's the fascinating thing. Jesus taught them. Now, what that means for us is that prayer is something that we can learn. You're listening to Open the Bible Weekend with Pastor Colin Smith. And Colin, that's encouraging to know that prayer is something we can continue to learn all throughout our Christian life. Because I think for many of us, our prayer lives are one of the areas where we feel like we struggle the most. Yeah, and I've never met a Christian who felt that uh, their prayer life was everything that they wanted it to be. We're, yeah. we're all trying to grow in that. I think one of the best ways to learn about prayer and to grow in prayer is simply through the prayers in the Bible. I've been so helped by some of the prayers of the Apostle Paul. Mm. And today we're going to look at a marvelous sample of the prayer life of Isaiah the prophet. And uh, just to look at how he came before God, how he prayed, what he asked for. I found so many things to learn simply from this one prayer that we're looking at today. And I found it very, very encouraging and helpful in order to stimulate my own prayer life. Well, we see that prayer from Isaiah in chapter 63. So I hope you open your Bible and join us there as we begin our message, Restore Prayer. Here's Pastor Colin. It's often said, and uh, there's some truth in this, that the best way to learn to pray is by praying with other people. But while there's some truth in that, there's also this limitation, that if you learn to pray only from other people, you will never learn to pray better than the other people from whom you learn. And that is what happens, frankly, to many Christians. We we reach a certain level with regards to prayer, and then we get stuck there. And then once in a while, we encounter someone who seems to pray more effectively, more authentically, more perceptively, and when that happens, you begin to feel, boy, I would really like to pray better than I do. Now, that, of course, is what happened classically with the disciples of the Lord Jesus. Remember that as Jewish men, they had been praying all their lives, brought up to pray. But when they heard and saw Jesus praying, they realized that His prayer was at a whole other level. And so, they come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they say to Him, teach us. Will you teach us to pray like you pray? And here's the fascinating thing. Jesus taught them. Now, what that means for us is that prayer is something that we can learn. You can, whatever your stage in the Christian life, you can grow in your ability to pray, in your language of prayer. You can grow in your faith, in your passion, your confidence, and your effectiveness in prayer. And I want to suggest at the beginning of a new year that we need to grow in regard to prayer. Because honestly, folks, when the history of the early part of the church in the 21st century, the church in America is written, they will probably say that we were very organized, that we had marvelous programs. But I doubt that any historian looking at the first part of the 20th century of the Christian church in America will say they were absolutely outstanding when it came to effectiveness in prayer. Now, I think we know that, and so what I want to do this weekend is to encourage us to show a path in which we can grow in prayer and to do that from Isaiah chapter 64 that is open in front of us. 
I have to say to you that for all the opportunities that lie ahead of us, and I believe there are many as a congregation in this new year, um, for all the people that we might seek to reach and for all the dreams that we have in that regard, if I could settle for just one goal for this year, it would be that we grow in faith and that we grow in prayer. You say, that sounds like two goals. It's not two goals. It's one goal because when faith increases, prayer will follow. The greater our confidence in God as a body of believers, the more we will ask of Him. I love the way John Newton puts this in an old hymn that he penned. It's obviously old because he wrote it in his lifetime. He says this, you are coming to a king, large petitions with you bring, for His grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. See, what you pray tells you what you really think about God. If you don't think your king is very great, you will not ask him for very much. But as you come to know that you have a great king, you will find yourself asking more and more of him. Now, just as we get into this, it's actually worth taking a look at your own prayers. Just review your own prayers or lack of them. And looking at your own prayers will help you to discern what you've grasped well and what you have grasped poorly in regards to God. It will help you to know how well you know Him. Let me give you one or two classic examples. I'll just put names on them that I've chosen at random, so no connection intended. Let's take Kathy. Here's Kathy, who's a lady who prays regularly, and she always prays for all her family and all her friends. What that tells Kathy is that she knows well that God cares for the details of every individual life. But what Kathy has not yet learned well is that God cares for more than her family. God cares for the world. And when she gets to know that God cares for the world, her prayers will get broader. Here's John, super organized John. He's got everything organized, including his prayer life. He prays every day. He's incredibly disciplined about it. He gathers all kinds of prayer letters and prayer requests, and he has a file for them. And he even keeps track of the answers that come to his prayers. He really has got it disciplined down to a fine art. What does John know about God? Well, John knows that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And therefore, he wants to bring to God the many needs and requests that he gathers and amasses. But what has John yet to discover about God? That he is the sovereign Lord who is to be worshipped, not just to be asked. And when John discovers that about God, he will have communion with God so that his prayer will be more than asking. Or one more example, here's Ben. Ben is a Christian, but like many Christians, he doesn't often actually pray at all. He really doesn't. What does Ben know about God? Well, what Ben has grasped is that God saves those who have faith in him. Ben knows that and he believes that. But what Ben hasn't really grasped is he doesn't think that God really does anything very much in the life of a Christian believer. He thinks basically it's faith and then we're on our own. And when Ben grasps that God works and moves in the life of a Christian believer, then Ben will begin to pray. He'll be more than a guy with a set of beliefs about Jesus. So, 
what I want to do today is to try and encourage you in prayer to help you to grow in confidence and to grow in your ability to ask great things of God because we're coming to know Him better as our great and glorious King and therefore to expect great things from God. You're listening to Open the Bible Weekend with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called Restore Prayer, part of our series, Restore My Soul. And we're going to pause here for just a moment, but we'll get back to this message from Isaiah 63 and 64 in just a moment. Hope you'll stay with us. If you ever miss a broadcast, you can come and listen online, openthebible.org. You can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. You can also listen through the Open the Bible app, which is free, and you'll find that at your app store. Back to the message. Here's Pastor Colin. There are just two simple divisions in the message and from the passage today. I want us to look at what we should pray. And Isaiah gives us a wonderful glimpse of a way that I want to encourage us all to be praying in the church this year. And then the second is going to be very practically how we should go about praying. So first of all, then, what should we pray? And I want you to look at verse 1, where Isaiah launches into this marvelous request of God. He says, oh, there's passion there. Oh, that you, God, would rend the heavens, tear the heavens open, and come down in such a way that the mountains, he says, would tremble before you. Now, Isaiah's prayer is flowing out of two things. The first is what he knows from the Bible, and the second is his own experience. See, Isaiah knew from the Bible that God's presence came down hundreds of years before onto the mountain called Sinai when God's people had been brought out of the land of Egypt. You can read about it in Exodus and chapter 19 and there from verse 17 where it says that Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain and Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because God descended on it in fire and the whole mountain trembled violently. So, can you imagine standing at the bottom of Mount Sinai? It must have been like an earthquake, the whole mountain's moving. And Isaiah knows that that physically, literally happened hundreds of years before his own lifetime. And he's thinking, imagine the impact of that if God's people today could see and experience the presence of God with that kind of power. But it wasn't just history for Isaiah. Because if you know the earlier part of the book, you'll remember that Isaiah had actually seen the earth-shaking glory of God in a vision himself. And you can check that out in chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the, his train, his robe, filled the temple. And above him were seraphs, these angelic figures, and they were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah says at their, the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds of the temple did what? They shook. They shook. So Isaiah has in his own experience felt the weight of the glory of God. He's seen it in the Bible but he's also known it in his own life. And now he's saying, Lord, I have seen your power and your glory. I've seen it in the Bible, but I've also known it in my own experience. But I live among a people 
who do not know you, even the people who bear your name, do not seem to feel the weight of your presence or to think you very great in their lives. Lord, you have done, you can do more than any of us have seen you do in our lifetime. So here Isaiah says, is my prayer. I'm asking that you will tear the heavens open and come down that you'll make the kind of impact on us today that you made on ancient Israel and that you made in my life when you called me to be a prophet. I want you to visit your people today like you visited your people at Mount Sinai. Oh, that you would give to us a glimpse of your glory. You get the feeling of his prayer. Now, Isaiah's prayer then is a passionate longing for a felt sense of the presence of God that will change things among God's own people. Come among us, Lord, he's praying. You're the God who shakes mountains. Why can't you change us? You will change us if you come down and presence yourself among us. So come, he says in this first verse, come like the fire that sets twigs ablaze. Come like the fire that causes water to boil. Come in a way that shakes us, Lord. Come in a way that boils up the lukewarm faith that so often characterizes us and fill us with a new and a fresh and a holy passion for your gospel. Now, that's the prayer. What would this look like in a local church? There's a fascinating passage in, at the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 14, where Paul talks about an unbeliever coming into the worship service of the local church in Corinth. And the sense of the presence of God is so evident to this unbelieving person, and the power of the Word of God is so present for him, that in that service he comes to experience God, become aware of his own sin, and then to worship God and to say, truly, God is among you. I think that's what Isaiah is praying for. Lord, come among your people in such a way that even someone who doesn't yet know you may experience that you are here and that something more is happening among the people of God than simply a gathering, simply a routine. See, this is what revival is, and for any of you who have read the history of revival, you will know this well already. Revival is an intensification of the presence of God among His people. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Now, I want to suggest and to ask you that we make this our prayer that you would join with me in asking of God that we may know His presence among us in such a way that a year from now, 
The sorts of things people would say about this church are not, oh, that's a church where they've got great programs, or that's a church where they've got good preaching, or that's a church where they've got good music, or that's a church where you can meet lots of great friends, but that's a place where you meet with God. That's what Isaiah is asking for. Lord, make this place a place of life-changing encounters with you for many people, rend the heavens and come down. Now, you say, what kind of things could we expect to happen if this prayer were answered? Problems in the foundations of the building? No. But let's think through together what this could mean in your life. If God's presence were in fresh measure to be poured out by the Holy Spirit among us. See, Isaiah explains what he's getting at here in verse 2. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And then he explains it. He says, come down to make your name known. To make your name known, verse 2. Now, as soon as you read about God's name being made known and you, it's in a prayer, we're obviously on the ground of the first petition in the Lord's Prayer. What is that? Hallowed be your name. In other words, Lord, what Isaiah is longing for is, is that God's people would know who He is. Lord, so many of the people who gather for worship don't really have a felt experience of who You are. Now, Lord, make your character known. Make who you are clear. And he says, you'll notice there that he, he is praying for this to extend even to those who do not yet know the Lord, uh, even to God's enemies. Let your name be known to your enemies, he says, but God's name becomes known to his enemies when it is known to his friends which is why revival happens, you see, not outside the church in the culture, but it begins with an intensification of God's presence among those who know and love Him and call upon His name. Come down and make your name known. Let us who bear your name know who you really are. Let me try and boil that down a little more so that we have a clear sense of what we're talking about here. Knowing who God is, that would include, for example, God coming down and making His love known. See, here we are, a group of people, vast majority of us believe in God, we confess the gospel, and some of us after years do not feel that God loves us. You honestly feel that God looks down on you with a frown, that He tolerates you at best, and that is why you do not find very great joy in Him at all? Do you know that even in the early church, Paul was praying, Paul, praying, that Christians would have a more intense experience of the love of God? You find it in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17, if you want to check that out in the New Testament. Ephesians and chapter 3 and verse 17, Paul says, I pray that you will grasp how wide and high and long and deep is the love of Christ. I'm praying that you'll know this love. And he's praying for Christians. 
Because the reality is that there are many who bear the name of Christ who do not feel the love of Christ. It all seems distant from you. It seems cool to you. Paul was praying Isaiah's prayer, Lord, come down and make your name known because your name and your nature is love. Oh, God, bring people here into a felt experience of your love. And for God to come among us and move by the Spirit to make His name or His nature known would mean not only that He would come to make clear His love to us, but that He would make known His power to us. Now, think about this. Many Christians are persuaded in their minds that God can resurrect them from the dead and bring them into everlasting heaven after they've died. But they're not convinced that God is able to give them victory over what they call a besetting sin while they're still alive. Think about that. We talk about our besetting sins, our pride, our laziness, our indiscipline, our lust, our greed. What happens is that because we know so little of the power of God in our lives, we find a way of accommodating to live with our sins. We say, that's just the way I am. I can't change, at least in this area, and therefore we quickly lose hope. When Isaiah says, oh Lord, come down, come down and make your name known, come like the fire that sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, he is saying, Lord, come in a way that causes us to experience your power in our lives. And again, you find in the New Testament that this is precisely how Paul prayed for ordinary Christians like us in Ephesus. Ephesians and chapter 1 and verses 18 through 20 there. Ephesians 1, 18 through 20, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which He's called you, and so that you will know the incomparably great power of God for us who believe. Because the power of God for us who believe, Paul says, is like the mighty power he exercised when he raised Jesus from the dead and caused him to ascend into heaven. Now, Isaiah knows from his own experience that the vast majority of court-believing people have no sense of that power of God being at work in their lives, which is why they're always complaining about being so weakened, incapable of victory. So, I'm wanting to stretch your vision to pray bigger prayers. You're listening to Open the Bible Weekend with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called Restore Prayer. Today, looking at what we should pray. Next time, we're going to look at how should we pray. So I hope you make it a point to tune in. If you ever miss a broadcast, you can always come and listen online. Our website is openthebible.org. There you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. Again, that's at openthebible.org. Well, Open the Bible is a listener-supported ministry. It is your generosity that keeps Pastor Collins teaching on this station and makes the podcast and other things available. But as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you the Heaven Bundle as our thanks. Now, the Heaven Bundle includes a book called Heaven from Randy Alcorn, Pastor Collins' book, Heaven, How I Got Here, The Story of the Thief on the Cross, and then five copies of the booklet, How Can I Be Sure About Heaven? And Colin, why are we sending five copies of this booklet? <laughs> well, because this is something to give away. A little booklet, again, based on the wonderful story of the thief on the cross and just capturing what it was that this man did. He turned to Jesus. 
He asked Jesus to save him, and he trusted the promise that Jesus gave him. So these three simple words, turn and ask and trust, are at the heart of this booklet that's all about Jesus and how he saves us, illustrated through the story of the thief on the cross. It's a booklet that you could give away to someone very easily, just a few pages, but it will give them the heart of the gospel and a simple presentation of how to respond to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we want to send you these five copies of the booklet, as well as Pastor Collins' book, Heaven, How I Got Here, and Randy Alcorn's book, Entitled Heaven. It's all part of the Heaven Bundle, our thank you for your financial support this month. You can give online at openthebible.org. You can also call 1-877-673-6365. That's 1-877-OPEN-365. Or give online at openthebible.org. For Pastor Colin Smith, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening. And I hope you'll join us next time. Open the Bible Weekend is a listener-supported production of Open the Bible. Having difficulty getting your prayer life off the ground? Find out where to begin next time on Open the Bible Weekend.